stuff going on today. Happy Father's Day uh, to all of you fathers are there, and we have the greatest father in the universe in the Lord, and we are thankful for that. Amen. We're getting ready to go on our praise and worship time, and uh, then we're gonna, our children are going to have a, our young people are going to have a skip for us, but let's stand to our feet. Let me read to you from Psalm 100. I'm actually starting my message here. Uh, for you today. And Psalm 100 is where I'm going to read to you from as we go into our praise and worship time. It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. I think some of the bricks would have come off, but I don't think the whole wall would have come down. Let's try that again. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Amen. We welcome all of you that have joined us live around the United States and wherever you're at around the world. We welcome you with us this morning to praise and worship and to get into God's Word and to be a part of His service. We're thankful for you all. And we know at least 48 countries are with us. Uh, we don't know about. Some of you have to be incognito probably. Uh, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. That's what we're getting ready to do. Now, you're supposed to leave complaining outside. No complaining. Tell your neighbor, say, no complaining. Ask how that worked out for Israel. Didn't work out too good. They said, we won't quail. He said, you're going to get it. going to be coming out of your nose when I'm done. He said, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. And that's what separates the true believer. We know who's in charge. Amen. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. Once again, God proclaiming to be our Creator. We are, the pe we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We belong to the Lord. That's what the church means. It means called out ones that exist for God's purpose. Two words used to create the word church we have in English. Ones that have been called out that are used for His purpose. We belong to the Lord. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Who's got something to be thankful for? Say it. I heard long-suffering. Family. Love. The cross. Forgiveness. Salvation. Mercy. Fatherhood. Hope. Grace. Christians, brothers, and sisters. Amen. All that's good stuff. We should be thankful for all that. I'm thankful for His love. I'm thankful for His provision for my eternal life. I'm thankful for His provision in this life. He takes care of us. We should be thankful for everything. Amen. He says, we're His people. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. That's how we get in. Into His courts with praise. That's where it starts. And be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day again. That's some wonderful stuff. Everything's flowing together for us to hear God's Word this morning. Uh, the nursery's open, but Children's Church is staying over here with their fathers today and with this preacher. As soon as I get my pulpit. <laughs> 
If you have a child, the nursery is open. Uh, I want to show this uh, prayer journey. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the prayer journey. We got, that's how much time I got left. Dan said, make sure you've done. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> so mostly I've used this as a prayer journey from a revelation years ago. Uh, and you've heard me teach on this, preach on it. Uh, a lot of folks have. This has been passed around this country actually a little bit now over the years. But there's so much more that I could preach my whole life about with this tabernacle. I could preach my whole entire life with that tabernacle. Because it, not only does it speak about our prayer time, but it also speaks about our relationship with Jesus. It speaks about what He's done for us. It speaks about our responsibility, how we should uh, come before the Lord. All kinds of things that this tabernacle teaches. The one that Moses made after the pattern of the one in heaven. Uh, but it also speaks of our worship, our praise and our worship, and how we should be before God when we praise Him and we worship Him. You see that the gate or the door, however you want to refer to that, is in the east. Now, I read from Psalm 100 because he talks about coming into the gate with thanksgiving, getting into the court there, the outer court with praise. Uh, and I want to show you a pattern here for our praise and worship time. And we really nailed that good, all of us together, two weeks ago, or we, uh, three weeks ago, I guess now. But it's important for us to understand this, that we're not just coming to church to sing. Uh, when we sing, we're praise and worship, and praise and worship make us vulnerable, so it's uncomfortable at first. You know, I've been to promise, a lot of Promise Keepers meetings over the years, back when that was big, uh, and a lot of men who wouldn't praise and worship in a church setting did it there in those arenas. They opened their hearts up a little more. They wouldn't do that in, in people they know, because it makes us vulnerable, and it's a little bit uncomfortable. But our music, music is a powerful tool. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But first thing I want you to notice, there's no doors anywhere else. Now, I understand, I'm not here to preach on that this morning, that speaks of Jesus, the door, I understand all that. But practically speaking, you don't get in any other way, we understand that. But yet a lot of churches, down through time, have made back doors thinking they're going to get somewhere with God. Now, I want to just say this, if you come through that gate complaining you ain't getting jack from God. I'm going to say it like I wanted to. That's not how you get in. A lot of people's prayer time, and I'm going to have a hard time staying away from this prayer journey, a lot of people's prayer time is running all the way back to the incense, altar of incense. They skip all this other furniture. They think, and they run back there and tell God what they would like for Him to do, and if they're brazen enough, they'll tell Him when to do it. And that's all there is to prayer, telling God what they want, what they think God ought to be doing. There's a lot that should go on before you ever get to that. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. So this whole journey is important because you need to pray petitions that are according to the will of God, not your desire. So that's why this journey is important in our prayer time. But in our praise time, if you go through church settings... A lot of them are trying to do certain things without coming through the door. Basically, they're cut in a back, this, like this place. We got doors everywhere, right? We got two side doors there, three doors out there. This only has one door. So, no matter what tradition you were brought, brought up in, you got to come in the same way. But, but here's the problem the full gospel 
people, the Pentecostals, the, the, the Assemblies of God people, they, they just love to stay in that outer court. They don't try to move on like they should. A lot of them don't. And the Baptists have put a side door over there so they can skip that court. And the Catholics put one in the back of the building so they can come straight in to the altar. But there's a reason why God takes us through these processes in our prayer time, in our praise, in our worship time, because we're getting fitted to receive from Him. You don't think you've been good enough to get in His presence. That's not how this works. That's why we reflect on that in communion. We go through the process. In fact, when Abraham took his son up on the mountain to slay him, he said, the Bible says he laid the wood in order. He didn't just throw it up there. He laid it in order. The Bible gave specific directions for Noah to build the ark, told him exactly what to do. So God is a God of order. And you've got churches that resist the order, and you've got some that try to skip parts, all kinds of things going on in our church world. And that's why I believe the church is not as impactful as a whole as it should be because we are so smart, we can do things different than what God told us. Now, I'm going to be very elementary with you. Do you know I pray the Lord's Prayer every day? I'm that simple. You know why? Because they said, teach us how to pray. He responded to that. He didn't say, just go in and say what you want to say. Right? He told them how to pray. So I'm that simple-minded and that elementary that if Jesus gave clear instructions about something, I should be practicing it. And so I pray the Lord's Prayer every single day of my life. If you stop and think about it, it will be great for you to do. It's got so much uh, protection and so much mercy and grace and forgiveness in it and recognition for who's really in charge. Now, when God told us in Psalm 100, I read, He said, Come in my gate with thanksgiving, my court with praise. He, when He told us that, He also reminded us of who was in charge. He's in charge. He said, He's the one that made us. We belong to Him. We're the sheep of His pasture. So we're not allowed to freelance. We don't get to freelance. You, don't, you shouldn't be freelancing in your Christian life. You shouldn't be freelancing in the church realm. We don't get to freelance. God gave us clear instructions on everything. If you want to read about marriage, it's in Ephesians. If you want to read about trading your children, it's in Ephesians There's, and other places. God gave us clear instruction on how to conduct our businesses. Do you know that in Israel, in the beginning, Israel was not allowed to tax the land. They, were, they weren't allowed to tax the land where the people lived. They could tax the products that came forth from working the land, but they were not allowed to tax the land. You know why? Because when God sent them over there, He said, It's my land. So basically, they would have been taxing God. So Israel was not allowed to tax the land. They were allowed to tax the products of it because God owns the land. He owns it all. And so I want to take you, if you will, to Psalm 22. And I want to talk to you about how powerful music is and some different things that we're going to look at today as we get ready to get more involved in our praise and worship as we move forward as a group. Uh, 
Let me just say this. If you'll notice that 99% of secular music reflects about the past. You notice that? How many of you remember Maxine Nightingale from a long time ago? She sang a song, Get Right Back to Where We Started From. It wasn't a bad song. It wasn't a good. Just, anybody remember that? Uh, we're going to get right back to where we started from. Every time I hear that song, I go back to an old wooden roller rink when I was 9 and 10 years old, and I heard that song when they took us on a field trip to the roller rink. I, it's powerful, right? I mean, every time. If, if I'm in a store and they're playing the 70s or a restaurant and that song comes on, it takes me back to a place from years ago. That's powerful. Music is a powerful tool. But most of the world's music takes us backwards, right? Takes us back to a place before, right? And, and the Bible tells us to forget the past and move on. And that's one of the dangers of secular music. You've got to guard against the fact that it would take you back to places you shouldn't be going. Can I get a hand? But Christian music or God's music is different. It takes us forward. It thrusts us forward. It gives us a future, a hope about what's to come. And the world is stuck because if they try to do things without God, then they don't have a future, all right? So let's go to Psalm 22. Verse 3 through 5, everybody's heard me quote this a hundred times or more. He says, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. If you've got an old King James, it says God inhabits the praises of Israel. It's part of the meaning of the word enthroned in the Hebrew, to inhabit. He says, you are enthroned on the praises of your people. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and, and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. So praise is that God gets involved with, right? So when you come through the gate with thanksgiving, as you come into this building, you should be that way. You should come in with thanksgiving, whether we claim those things or not during the worship time. You should come in being thankful. Matter of fact, we may start throwing something up on the screen with our announcements before service says, remember to be thankful. We want you to come into this building being thankful. Let's go back to that uh, model. So you come in the gate with thanksgiving. That's the first thing you do. Somebody said, well, I need to repent. I've been bad. Well, you probably do need to repent, but that's not the first thing you do. The first thing you do, I repent during praise and worship time, just like I do prayer time. If the Holy Spirit convicts me of something, because once you get in through the gate and you get in the court, the first thing you're met with is the brazen altar. So that's where we repent, right? And we speak things over us at the labor. That's part of our prayer time. When you get in that court, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. That's what Psalm 100 says. So that's how we come in. We come in with thanksgiving. We come in with praise. And somebody said, yeah, but I need to repent. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. You should be, able, you should be praising God and being thankful that he would forgive you before you ever get to that altar. You know by coming into His presence that that altar has been made available to you to repent. So as God offers you an entrance through your thanksgiving, through your praise, then you'll get to that altar where you can lay some things down on the altar. So this is God's pattern. As we come in here to praise and worship, we should be the most thankful people on earth. 
I was just, during my worship time, I went back to being thankful. I was just so thankful that God had given me eternal life. I was so thankful during the worship time this morning that God was as a forgiving God, that He don't hold things against us. That's what overwhelmed my heart this morning. I'm so thankful that God, so when we come through with thanksgiving, then we praise. Praise is a proclamation, much like they did around the walls of Jericho. Praise means to, this word praise in the Hebrew means to, and there's several words for this that we, we may get to later on. It means, to bring, it means that God, for us to sing a song indeed and publicly, and the word leads to the word in our English, lauded, it means to glorify, to speak highly of, out in the open. It means to extol or to lift up, to praise highly, to elevate, to celebrate. So it's different than worship. Praise is different than worship. It's more aggressive, it's louder, and it's intended to be that way. It's a proclamation. We're not talking to God, we're talking about God. That's the difference. That's why there's praise and there's worship. So if you want God to come in your situation, let's, let's just look at this as an individual. This, this, this uh, temple is me meeting with God. I come in, I do the same thing when I pray. I give thanks, I give praise, I repent. I do the same thing when I worship, right? I'm coming in. God don't come down. The word inhabits mean that God brings His throne into the midst of our moment. Now think about that. God's bringing His authority and His provision when we praise. He doesn't do that when we worship. That's why churches that skip the praise can't have the fullness. You got that God comes down in the praise. When He hears us start acclaiming Him and extolling Him and lauding Him and praising Him and proclaiming who He is, God comes into that. That's what the psalmist said. God comes into that then you cannot get into worship without praise. You can't do it. Because God inhabits the praise, so it's important for you. I praise Him every time I go to pray. I talk about who He is. I extol who He is. I claim this whole court's about praise. So even after I get done repenting, I come over here to the table of the sanctification. The Bible says we're sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word, right? So I'm, I am using God's Word and I'm proclaiming things He's done in the Scripture and in my life. I keep extolling Him. Even after I ride that whole area there, I used to proclaim and extol God. So if you're trying to get to a place to be vulnerable and to be sensitive and to be heard, you can't skip that. There's only one door. There's only, well, it's not my personality. Well, it's not my, you're not, we're not talking about your weaknesses. You know what? Moses said, Lord, I can't talk good. And he said, well, I'll send you Aaron. And guess who done all the talking anyway? Moses. Aaron didn't get to say nothing. Hardly. Moses did. Your praise and your worship comes out of adoration for your husband. Go talk bad to my wife about me. That ain't going to work. She's going to tell you how good I am most of the time. Right? And that's how we ought to be with our brothers and sisters. Don't let people talk, run your brother and sister down. We come to praise and worship God because we adore Him. It's about you and Him. Right? That's, why, that's how this comes out of us. That's how we get 
more limber with it, if I can use that word. We get more open to the praise and the worship because it's not about the setting. It's not about the church. It's about you loving your husband as the bride of Christ and excited about him, knowing who he is, knowing what he's done and what he's going to do for each one of us. That stirs up that praise. So as we come in before God, we got a whole section there where we proclaim who he is. We got an opportunity to repent during that. We speak the word over us. That is praise. So it means to he, in, he, he inhabits that or he brings his throne, according to the Hebrew word, and sets it in the middle of our praise. Now here's the problem. We're in the flesh. And because we're in the flesh, we just like to praise when we feel good. But if God brings his throne, which is authority and provision, if he brings his throne, our praise, the biggest time we ought to praise is when we're in trouble. When we don't feel like it. What did David say? David had a lot of trouble. They'd burned Ziklag and kidnapped everybody. And he said, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. He had to, the Bible said David learned to encourage himself in the Lord. So you, when we, the time we need to praise the most is when the flesh will resist it the most. When we're down and out when we don't feel good, when we don't feel like it. But that's when we ought to praise God the most, to get His presence, to get His throne in our situation. If you're down and out, if trouble's in your path, and you're discouraged and you're battling, you need God's throne more than any other time. You need His provision. You need His authority. You need His power. And that's what His throne represents. Let's go to John 4, chapter 4. Let me show you some things here in John chapter 4. This is an interesting thing that Jesus says to us when he's talking to this woman at the well. In verse 19, we're going to introduce worship now. We talked about praise. Let's look at worship. In John chapter 4, verse 19, the woman, and this is interesting from the prophetic word we got this morning. Uh, you'll see why this it ties in with what we're, I'm getting ready to share. It says, in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. This is a woman talking. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. But Jesus corrects that, right? He's not about the formalism. He's about relationship. Then he said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now that's how God gave us salvation, through the Jewish people. He gave it through them. But the hour, by sending His Son through that lineage, but the hour is coming, and now is, so He's, he's giving her a moment here, when the true worshipers, here we go, a true worshiper, where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, go back to the chart again. On this chart, something has to happen, right? Before you can go back into the place where you worship. What is it? Repentance. Cleansing. Right there, the washing of the water of the Word. See, you people that think you're worshiping without doing this other stuff, you're mistaken. All you're doing is satisfying your soulish man. Now, I know there are churches that... 
They hate praise. They don't like it loud. There are churches that don't ever want to get into worship because they like to sweat when they go to church. Now, I'm just being honest with you. I've been around all of them, all of the above. But there's a problem when we don't do the whole process. And so, if you're going to worship in spirit and in truth, you better not be bypassing any of the stations that God has set up for you. And so, he says, he says in the next line, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship, and he's talking about worship now, not praise, him must worship in spirit and in truth. So to get true worship, it's not how good you can sing. It's how open your heart is, and if you've invoked God. You know what a prayer application is? We've watered that down so much, and I've told you the true story. It's kind of funny about somebody inviting me to a secular event and asking me to pray the invocation. And I said, you sure? And they said, yeah, we want you to pray. And I said, well, okay. So before I prayed, I explained what it means to invoke something. A prayer of invocation is not some beautiful prayer that says, Lord, we thank you for this event we have, and we're all glad we got to be here. Will you keep us safe even though we're going to do stupid stuff after it's over? A prayer of invocation, I explained this to this group, and it's a large crowd. It's larger than this one. And I said, it means to invoke God's presence into the moment. That's what an invocation is. It's when we beseech God to come in to the moment, which is praise. I didn't get invited back to pray anymore <laughs> at that particular event. But it means to invoke God into the moment. What do you have in your hand that's better than that? Nothing. If you got a situation, invoke God into the moment. Now they walk down and call it the beginning prayer because they're afraid of it. We don't really want God in this event because we're going to do stuff after it's over and we don't want Him to see. That was true. And so he says, my God is looking for those who will worship Him. All right? Worship Him. Now, this word worship means obeisance. Obedience was what we were challenged with in that prophetic word, to obey, to have an expression of a movement by the body of surrender, to kneel, to raise the hand, to bow in reverence. So that's the problem. Go back to the chart again. I'm going to wear you out with this chart. Some folks will come into the outer court and leave. They won't slow down enough to obey, to kneel. They'll leave. And if it ain't if it ain't loud enough, they'll get on out. But there's a distinction between praise and worship. That's why the Bible has two words and not one. And I, I've tried not only with the ministry but with churches that, to try and find the balance of that. I can take you to churches that never go in the outer court, that have cut a door in the side to get in. I can take you to churches that come in the front gate, but they never go into the rest of the temple. Because they're confused. They're stuck. And some are trying to bypass some all they like. It's like they brought their rock and roll status into the church. If it ain't loud and knocking me out the door, I don't want to hear it. I'm telling you, there are churches on both sides of the aisles. Like, you know I'm telling you the truth, and you can get, say, yeah, man, they're not. And so the problem with the church is 
She's been out of balance. It comes back to this. This is what we love. We were what we we like the this is the high priest, the prophet, and the king. Those are the three offices in Israel. In, in the Old Testament, you'll find a high priest and a prophet. You'll find a king and a prophet. But you will never find somebody who's all three until you get to Jesus. Now, we love Jesus. That, that off, the fact that he held all three offices was reserved for him. We love the high priest because he fixed our boo-boos, right? He fixes our problems. He forgives our sins. We love the high priest because he, he takes all our bad stuff and makes it good, right? We like the prophet as long as he's telling us something good, if he comes in to correct us and say, like a Nathan, whatever. And then the king, the king is the one that has the final say or the authority. And here's why we resist the kingship of Jesus even. Because the king tells us what to do. You don't get the freelance. The king tells us what to do. Jesus gave us plenty of instruction. Now, because the church has only recognized the high priest and the prophet to some degree and resist... Oh, we sing about him being the king. But he's not really king unless you do what he says. He said, how do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Can I get one amen? I'm getting ready to take an offering up right in the middle of service. That's where the king comes in. Now the king has the authority and he tells us what to do. That's why we resist him because we live after the flesh at times. But the king is the one who's responsible for peace and safety. That's his job. What do we forfeit when we don't surrender to the king? It could be with your children, it could be in your marriage, it can be in your business, it can be in the church, it can be in your spiritual life. When you don't submit to the authority of the king, you're forfeiting peace and safety. That's why some of the statistics out in the world are almost the same inside the church. Because they have not submitted to Jesus as the king, though they would sing about it. So he calls us to obey. That's what the king does. He says, you've got to obey. You've got to follow me. Right? And the Bible says in Acts that the tabernacle of David is going to be restored in the last days. And that's what God has been doing in the end of time here with the church. But the tabernacle of David is one that starts with praise. He was a praiser. He, he expressed himself to God. He wasn't ashamed to do that. So worshipers is the next word. He's looking for a worshiper. It's somebody to honor with an act, with an all an act of respect, with deference, and this is good. It means submission or preference to respect the opinion of another with submission to that opinion. So a worshiper is somebody who says, I surrender to God's opinion or his word. He don't have opinions, really. This is generic definition. That when, we, when he's calling a worshiper, he said, My father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. True worshipers, the word worshiper means somebody who with deference, with submission, preference to respect the opinion of another, with submission to that opinion to regard with deepest respect. In other words, worshiper is somebody who yields to the king. That's what it means. So, 
Let me take you to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I'm trying to set the stage here for you. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Let me show you who else likes worship. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was, uh, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. So Jesus was filled with the Spirit, but it's also the Spirit who took Him to the hour of temptation. And that will happen to us. Because the Bible says the trying of our faith is more precious than gold. So the Holy Spirit, that's capitalized, will take you into moments or seasons in your life where you're going to be tried. Because God's working on eternal creatures. And so, and in the, those days he ate nothing, and afterward it was, it was ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now notice what he did. Who knew he was the Son of God? Jesus knew it. He, that was, catch the, catch the, the trickery or the deception in this. He says, and I'm talking to myself now too. He says, if you are the Son of God, who, there were two people there, or two beings there. Guess who's there? Satan and Jesus. And both of them knew he was the Son of God. Now you see what the devil does? Just like he did with Eve. He said, did God say? Well, yeah, he said. That's how the devil works on us. You need to stand up. In Christ for yourself. When he starts saying, are you really a child of God? Yes, I am. Back off. But he knew who Jesus was. And Jesus knew who he was. But he, this is how he, he wants to cast out on us. He wants us to back down, right? He don't want us to get crazy. He don't, I didn't say crazy. I said crazy. I made it, there's a new word. I've got a dictionary over the last 30 years. It's bigger than Webster's. He don't want us to get crazy. He wants us to start doubting and back away, right? Don't, don't, don't shout when you walk around that wall. People think you're crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I'm just being crazy. It's my new word. And he says, and the devil said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus answered said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that... Uh, Word of God, then the devil taking up a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world at a moment of time. And the devil said to him, see, they're operating outside of time. You see that? All this authority I will give you and their glory has been delivered to me. I will give to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, he's just, Jesus is in charge. The devil's not in charge. Jesus is just out there to fulfill God's will. And, but that's how the devil... See, the Lord is in us. So greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. The devil can't overthrow that. Amen. Somebody ought to give him praise. So we ought to tell... I said this a few weeks ago. The Bible says, submit yourself to God. That's what this praise and worship is primarily about. Submit yourself to God. Somebody said, I don't like to praise. Somebody else said, I don't like to worship. Sorry. You're going to have to do them both. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will get away from you. He will flee from you. And I said this a few weeks ago, how about a life where the devil's trying to get away from you instead of you always trying to get away from him? 
That's the kind of life that God offers us. And then he says, he said, I'm looking for, he said, I want you to worship before me. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So worship has action in it. That's why Jesus said that. And that's what I pointed out to you in John chapter 4. Worship has action in it. All right? It's not just you concentrating. That's what we call voodoo. Worship, and that's part of it. I meditate on the Lord, but that's not all of it, all right? And so let's go to, uh, let me show you a few things. There are three archangels that we see in the Bible, Michael, Gabriel, and Satan, or Lucifer, he's called. I want to talk to you about Michael first. Let's go, Jude verse 9. I'm just going to run through some scripture here. I'm going to have you turn them because they're just... Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring radio accusation to him, but said... The Lord rebuke you. So he's contending there. The next one, Daniel 10 and 13. says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. He'd come to do battle. Uh, go to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael uh, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble as not been since the nation, which is talking about the tribulation period, even to that time, and to that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Now, let's go to Gabriel, the other, uh, message, or the other angel that's mentioned in the Scripture. Daniel verse 9, 20. Daniel verse 9, 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, the holy mountain of, God, of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, Daniel speaking, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the, of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understanding. So now, Michael, let's go to one more here for Gabriel. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, through whatever I said. Now, in the sixth month of angel Gabriel, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So Gabriel is used in the scripture as a messenger. Michael is used as a warrior or a, or a battler. All right, Satan, I want you to turn with me now. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Let me show you something about Satan. And, and the Old Testament, like with the types of Christ, also has types of Satan, types of the Antichrist that show us understanding for the end of time. I'm not going to get all the way through this, but let's get as far as we can. In Ezekiel uh, chapter 28, verse 13. Now God's talking to Satan <clears throat> here. He's talking to king of Tyre, but he's also referencing Satan because the king of Tyre was not in the garden. If you look up above it, he says, uh, he talks about the king of Tyre there, mentions him in verse 11. But when you come down, verse 13, he wasn't in Eden. So he's re referencing Satan here. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. It is unarguable that timbrels is a music. It is a reference to a music instrument. 
they argue whether Pipes is the same, but in what I've studied, it looks like Pipes also is in a reference to like a tambourine if you study it out far enough. And so he's talking to Satan. He says, uh, it was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers and, uh, and I established you. You were in the holy mountain. He said, you were in the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So a lot of things are being said there theologically. He, the devil's a created being. He's created perfect. He got crossways with God. We're going to look at that now in Isaiah chapter 14. So Satan or Lucifer was created different from Gabriel and Michael because God had different functions for them. Uh, Michael was created as a warrior. I suspect he might have been the one uh, that grabbed Satan and threw him out of heaven. Uh, Gabriel is a messenger. He gives us what God wants us to hear. And then Lucifer appears to be the one involved in worship. Now, let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. and I'm going to share some things with you that you'll get some... I think you'll see how this works. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4, it says... He's talking again to the king of Babylon, but then he's, you can tell that he's referencing Satan. This is a type and shadow. In verse 4, he says, after talking saying to the king of Babylon, he says, How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, who struck the people in wrath with continual stroke. He who ruled the nations in anger, not one nation, but all of them, is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. They shall speak and say to you, Have you also become as weak as we? So the one they got their power from is going to get cut down, which is Satan. Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol or the grave and the sound of your stringed instruments. So they reference Satan in a musical way again. And they, the maggot is spread under you. The worms cover you. How, are you. how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. There's no question who he's talking about here. Son of the morning, how you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, and here's the I wills, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also uh, sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. And then the response to that is, yet you shall be brought down to the grave or Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness, who destroyed the cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Did not open the house of his prisoners. That's Satan. Now, Satan's consumed with worship. He wanted Jesus to worship him. He obviously was created in that vein to be a worshiper. Michael's a warrior, Gabriel's a messenger, and Lucifer a worshiper. Now... When you go back to John 4, what, what's God looking for? He's looking for worshipers. If we go run the reference, and I'm going to run those, well, let's run a few of them. Let's, let's go just on the board here, Second Chronicles 32 and 7. Be strong, courageous, do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before the multitudes with him, for there, is, there are more with us than, than with him. 
Exodus 14 and 14. The Lord will fight for you and, will, and you shall hold your peace. Proverbs 20 and 22. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and He will save you. Exodus 15, 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. In verse 6. Go all the way to verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. So God will fight for us. He didn't lose His warriors. He kept them. When Satan was cast out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. I suspect that they were part of the worship team. They were the group he was in charge over. Gabriel's still there. Michael's still there. The message of God is coming true. God is still fighting our battles. But guess what? He's looking for worshipers. If you can have it, you and I are taking Satan and his, those uh, angels that fell. We're taking their place. God said, I'll fight your battles. I'll fill your mouth according to what he said in Luke. I'll do all that. He re, that. That's all still in place. But he said, I'm looking for you to be a worshiper. That's what God's after. It's humility. Getting into worship brings humility in our lives. Let's go uh, to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and then I'm going to close. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I want you to view this as we get into this. Most of you are familiar with this passage. I'm in the wrong Chronicles. Now, your God is your Father. And everything you have has come from His hand. You and I should not be ashamed to praise Him, and we not, should, be, should not be ashamed to worship Him. What are you going to do when you see somebody you love? You're going to extol them, aren't you? You're going to recognize them. You're going to uh, laud them to some degree. Not, certainly not to the degree of God. But why shouldn't we do that with God? Right? What, somebody you've not seen that you really love in a while. You're going to say all kinds of things to them, aren't you? You're going to say, Oh, you look so good. And they probably don't, but you're going to say it anyway. <laughs> then you have to go through the tabernacle and repent. I'm just kidding. You're going to say all kinds of things, aren't you? You look so good. It's so good to see you. I love you. I mean, you're going to just put some praise and worship on them, aren't you? Several years ago, I was flipping through the TV channels, and I saw a concert, and I stopped watching this concert, and guess who it was? It was ACDC. They don't know God. But I stopped for about... A minute and a half. And you know what I saw those people doing? I saw them with their hands raised, waving and praising and joining in. Who was getting all that worship behind the scene? Satan. That's how he has to get most of it. He gets it behind the scene because most people aren't going to be blatant devil worshipers. But he gets it behind the scene. But I thought, and you know how many people was in that? It was a stadium, if I remember, somewhere down in Latin America and it held a hundred and some thousand, and the whole place was full, and also the field. And who knows what they paid to get in a place like that. But they were all in. They were worshiping, and had their arms raised, were so excited about what they were involved in. 
It's spontaneous too. Tell me you don't get excited when one of your children achieves something. And you want them, right? And you say, what a good job. And they should get it from you and I as parents. But God should get it more than anybody in our life. If you watch some of these, if you get a clip of a secular, secular rock group or something, they got their hands raised. They're shouting to the top of their lungs. They're joining in. They're singing the song. And a lot of them was singing a song that said, I'm going straight to hell. And partying about it. Praising about it. Extolling it. It's foolishness. They're blind. We need to pray for them. But if they're willing to do that, have you ever been, if you've ever been to Rub Arena? Or to uh, UK's football stadium or Tennessee's football? Have you ever watched people praise their team? Go back and watch an Elvis clip. They shift from, they go past praise. Those ACDC people are probably praising. They go past praise. They worshiped Elvis, some of them did. I like Elvis. I mean, I hope he made it. But none of these men should get what goes to God. None of these teams should get what God should get. And my wife, when we first got married, she said... Uh, she wanted me to hold her hand more and stuff. And I, I used the excuse of, I wasn't raised that way. <laughs> and so one day she was gone. And we had our first child, Jared. He's 28 now. I, can't, I wasn't doing this way anymore. But I was with Jared. She was gone. She come home. And I had Jared down in the middle of the floor just kissing him and loving on him and smothering him with my affection. And I didn't hear her come in. And she walked in. She said, Aha. I'll never forget this. This is a life-changing moment. <laughs> the Holy Spirit and my wife showed up at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> she said you do have it in you you just pick and choose when you use it and I said guilty right so you go to a football game your son runs the touchdown you about get on the middle of the field and you think about salvation you're going to sit in your seat You think about eternal life and all the stupid stuff we've done and got forgave for and never going to be held against us again? Man, that's something to shout about. That's something to give praise about. That's something to proclaim. I've been saved. I've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. I've been washed in His forgiveness. 
All my sins are gone. I don't care what you know. It's what God don't know. He said every sin is gone. And that's something to shout about. That's something to get right in the middle of the 50-yard line and say, I'm in! Because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I'm not going to get to this chapter, 2 Chronicles 20, but I want to say to you this morning, our praise and worship is not about the personality of the church. Our praise and worship is not about how you and I grew up. Put that model back up there one more time. Our praise and our worship is about what God told us to do. And He's looking for worshipers. And you can't get in the power of worship unless you go through the praise. And you people that pray have a prayer life and only go to the altar of incense and think God's going to answer all your prayers because you showed up. He had a bunch of stuff He wanted to minister to you about to get to there so you could pray according to His will and not our will. I shared this before, but years ago I was praying for part of my family. And I, I, was, uh, I was on the creek bank before I was married. I was praying for some people in my family. And I just got caught up in that uh, religious prayer, right? Pray a few things and then just start doing like the Pharisees did, right? I said, Lord, bless them. Just, just bless them. And they weren't walking with the Lord. And I, it was like I ran into a wall. And the Lord said, bless them. He said, I have blessed them. And they were blessed. They were blessed more than anybody else in our family tree. And he said, I have blessed them. He said, you need to pray that I break them. Now, you wouldn't pray that prayer if the Holy Spirit don't get a hold of you. Nobody thinks, I want to pray for somebody that I love to be broken. But what if it's the difference between heaven and hell? What if that brokenness is the difference between heaven and hell? See, if you're in the flesh, if you don't take time go through and let the Holy Spirit take you where He wants to take you, then when you get back there to pray, you'll pray the wrong things. What did James say? You don't get what you pray for because you pray amiss. And then you come back there and you get wishy-washy, and, and you, he said if you're wishy-washy, you're double-minded, you ain't getting nothing from God. That's some strong words in James. That's why... Uh, uh, Martin Luther uh, was tempted to kick it out of the Bible. He didn't like some of the strong stuff in it originally. And so James tells us straight up, he said, you're going to have to pray. And that's why we talked about on our studies on early Wednesday morning, the Holy Spirit gets involved with us so that we can pray according to the, the will of God. It ain't Matthew's will that needs to be done. Remember what we start off with? He said, teach us how to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I'll end with this, because I really want to end with this. I want to punch the devil right in the face before I quit. You can never use the word can't when you're referring to God unless you're talking about sin. That's the only thing God can't do, is He can't sin. He can do anything else. So when you, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you belong to Jesus... And you say to yourself or to your family or whoever else, I can't. You are making God a liar. God can do anything. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And inside of you, in this earth, in me, never tell anybody, I can't do that and claim to be a believer. Because the Bible says we can do all things 
through Christ Jesus who has loved us and given us. And God is on our side. Let's give Him praise this morning. Let's stand our feet. Hallelujah. You guys can come to the instruments. God is on our side. He's, he is so powerful. He is your Father. And we recognize Him today as Father. We're thankful for all you earthly fathers. And we are blessed in this church because we have a lot of godly fathers in this church. A lot of churches... And when I was growing up, it was like the men had exited the church a lot of times. It was mostly mothers taking their children to church, or in a lot of cases it was. But we're blessed here. We've got godly men who love the Lord, and we're thankful for you. You are called to be a leader in your home. You're called to set the example, not just give the directions, but also to follow those same directions that you give out to your family. You're the leader. You should be hearing from God. I want to say this again. It shouldn't, unless you've got something worked out, but it shouldn't be mom saying we're going to church on Sunday. It should be dad saying we're going to church on Sunday. And mom should be in agreement, of course. So we're thankful for all you that love the Lord, and we're blessed in this church to have so many fathers. We recognize you. Let's bow our heads for a moment here. Let's talk to the true father above all of us. Lord, we're here this morning, and we recognize you as the awesome God and father of every one of us. As Psalm 100 said, we are the sheep of your pasture. You own us. You created us. We didn't make ourselves. We should praise you not only for salvation and eternal life and forgiveness and all those. We should praise you for everything. We should praise you for the shoes on our feet this morning. For the money we have in our pockets. For the ability to pay our bills and buy our groceries. To have transportation. And you've been so good to this body during these last two and a half years. It's, it's a testimony of how big and good you are. In the midst of all this chaos, you have blessed us individually, as families, and as a group. And we're thankful for that, Lord. We praise you for that. You are the way, the truth, and the life. So God, you're our Father. And we want to learn to praise and worship you deeper and deeper, Lord. Because you deserve it. You're our Father. And the deeper, the greater Abraham's revelation, the deeper his praise and his worship became. Reveal yourself to us. Show us who you are. Show us and teach us your ways. As we begin to have this altar time this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, today's your day. Make God your Father. If you're here and you're the prodigal you need to return home today come on if you're here and you've got a sickness you've got a situation you need God to bring his throne in come on up we'll pray with you whatever you need as we worship